Thank you, brothers, all that have participated already this morning. Open the Word of God with me, please, to John's Gospel, the third chapter. We praise Thee, O God, for the Son of Thy love. We will find in the 35th verse that we're going to see today, the Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. That is not altogether good news in the second half of that verse because he's put all men into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ for judgment. The Father's given all authority and all judgment to his Son that men might honor the Son as they do the Father. If we don't honor the Son, we don't honor the Father. I want today to preach to you the Lord Jesus Christ from these words of John the Baptist, that you might love the Son of God more. If you don't love the Son of God, anathema maranatha upon you. If you don't love the Son of God, you hate the Father as well, because the two of them are so closely connected. John chapter 3, the two founders of our religion, if you'll allow me that description of these two, John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I can't give you faith, but God can. God can give you faith, and God can stir that faith up by his words and by his spirit. And we are trusting the Lord for that effect. There's no one like the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. There's no name in the pages of Scripture to compare to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no name in all the religions of the world to compare to the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone is preeminent. He alone is the Son of God. He alone is the one that came from above and is above all. And John's going to get that communicated to us. We should not fear or worry in the days of trouble in which we live because they're all under the control of the blessed and only potentate, King of kings and Lord of lords. He is from above. The best of men are from beneath. He is the Lord of glory. The rest are but creatures. Lord, help us to love thy Son. Let me read to you the whole context of these two founders of our religion, baptizing in close proximity to each other in Judea, which caused a measure of envy on the part of John's disciples about the growing popularity of Jesus Christ and the declining popularity of their master, John the Baptist. And how John the Baptist remedies that gently, but gives us wonderful truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. I start at verse 22. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Anan near to Salem, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, 
to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth. And no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. And amen. Amen. Let us go directly to the 26th verse, since we covered the other verses last Lord's Day. Some disciples of John come back to John and say, Rabbi, the one that you spoke of and had an exchange with earlier and bore witness of him, he's baptizing. You were the Baptist. You're the first Baptist preacher in town. You were the only Baptist preacher in town. Now he's baptizing, and all men are going to him. They're not coming to you anymore. And so we saw briefly the jealousy of the disciples of John for him versus the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not new in the pages of Scripture. We find it in the Old Testament of a couple of men prophesying in the camp of Israel and Joshua wanting to defend the exclusivity of Moses as the prophet. And Moses said, would to God, the whole nation was prophesying. Don't, on my account, cut down the, the work of God among us. And then in the New Testament, we find at Corinth that there were some that were of Paul and some of Cephas and some of Apollos and some sanctimonious ones being of Christ. And so we had four different preacher factions in the church at Corinth. So it's not new. But the issue here, John's going to settle in the, ver- in the words that follow. From verse 27 through verse 36, we understand the words to be the words of John the Baptist as he explains to his disciples that they should want to see Christ exalted, that Jesus Christ is far superior to him, and they shouldn't be confused about the matter. There's no reason to switch anywhere in these verses from John the Baptist to the Apostle John. We're not given any indication like that The easiest way to look at these words are from verse 27 on to be John the Baptist gently rebuking his disciples and teaching us a great deal of wonderful things about Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 26 introduces the situation to us 
that there were disciples jealous for their master, John the Baptist's exclusive ministry that was no longer exclusive and that was no longer increasing, but Jesus Christ was in the same proximity in Judea and all men were coming to him in their exaggerated opinion of seeing the crowds come to Jesus Christ. We saw in verse 26, before we leave it, that this is one of those many places in the Bible where all does not mean all. The last words of verse 26 are the words of the disciples of John the Baptist saying, all men come to him. All men come to Jesus Christ. Well, John the Baptist is going to say, no man comes to Jesus Christ in verse 32. So which is true? Yes, both, both understood as absolute terms describing a very relative point. The disciples of John the Baptist were simply pointing out that the popularity of Jesus was great. John the Baptist was pointing out that given who he is, the popularity of Jesus Christ was nothing. Because in comparison to who he was and the message that he brought, all men should have been going to him, but relatively few actually did, which is the message of the Bible that there's only a very small remnant that truly follow the true worship of God, that there's few that find the straight gate in the narrow way. Verse 28, Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not... No, we want to get verse 27. Excuse me, back to verse 27. John answered and said, and from this point on, we have John the Baptist explaining to his disciples the superiority of Jesus Christ. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. This is a ministerial verse. This verse is not a verse about regeneration preceding faith. Like I mentioned to you last Lord's Day, in my early days of my conversion... The excitement of believing that God must regenerate before a sinner believes caused me to look for that point of doctrine in about every verse in the Bible. And so this verse lent itself rather easily to it because it says, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Listen, I can tie this into John 1.12, but as many as received him because of verse 13 that says, which were born... I can tie John 1, 12, and 13 to John 3, 27 and show you that God has to regenerate a man before he believes the gospel. And wouldn't that be neat to do that? But it's all wrong. Right. Now, the point in John 1, 12, and 13 is true, that we have to be born again before we can receive Christ or believe on him, but that's not what's being taught in John 3, 27. What's being taught in John 3.27 is the ministerial success of the Lord Jesus Christ and of all legitimate ministers. If they have the office, God gave it to them. If they have men coming to them, this is only legitimate ministers, God gave it to them. If there's fruit, God gave it to them. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 said, I have planted, others have watered like Apollos, but, but God giveth the increase. And this verse here doesn't have a thing to do with salvation. 
And if you jerk it out of its context, then we have abused the Bible one more time, like so many others have, by pulling a verse out of context. Sure, it fits, but we don't want verses that fit like that. We don't want the sound of verses. We want the sense, and the sense is dictated by context. Our master in interpretation of the Bible is context. Context determines grammar. Context determines definitions. Context determines what is under consideration and its ministerial success. My disciples, the fact that you see Jesus of Nazareth with such a growing ministry and mind declining is God pouring his blessing out upon Jesus Christ. That is why he has that office. He is baptizing by divine authority, and those coming to him are sent and being blessed by the God of heaven. And thus, John 3, 27, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Much more was said last Lord's Day about that verse. We do not apply this verse to false teachers. The fact that they have crowds flocking to them is because they're false teachers by their doctrine, by their worldly popularity. Jesus taught the rule that those that are highly esteemed among men are an abomination to God. We're talking about legitimate ministries because even ordination is God's choice to choose the Lord Jesus Christ to be his servant and preacher and teacher according to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 4. No man takes an office of ministry to himself. Levi didn't take all the service of the tabernacle to himself by his choice. God made choice. Remember when they, I mentioned this last Sunday, remember when they laid their staves up, one staff for each tribe of Israel, and in the morning, the staff of the tribe of Levi had sprouted branches. Right. The, the others were still dead sticks. Right. But uh, God was showing them that he had made a difference. You know, the tribe of Judah was the kingly tribe. God made that choice as early as Genesis chapter 49, when the scepter shall not depart from Judah. And it would be the tribe of Levi that would be the tribe of his priests for the Old Testament And the Lord Jesus Christ, being a king priest, came from Judah, but had a priesthood greater than anything from Levi. So it didn't matter that he wasn't from Levi, because he was a priest after the order of Melchizedek, who was a long time before Levi or Aaron. No man takes an office to himself. No man has ministerial success. And we're talking about God's legitimate ministers without God's blessing. And thus, 327 A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Jesus wouldn't have the office. Jesus would not be baptizing. And Jesus would not have the crowds repenting and being baptized of his disciples if it wasn't given to him by God. Verse 28. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. Now, these disciples had just said in verse 26, to whom thou bearest witness. We saw and heard you testify things about Jesus of Nazareth that were pretty spectacular. But you know what's happened now? He's baptizing. You know, he could be Jesus the Dipper, replacing John the Dipper. 
But John says, did you hear everything that I said about him? Did you hear everything I said about me? When we had that exchange that you bore, that you bore witness of, did you hear everything? Then here in verse 28, John reminds them, I said, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. I am simply sent before him. And that was to fulfill scripture. And that was stated in John chapter 1. And we went over those verses when we were there in chapter 1. Malachi chapter 3, Isaiah chapter 40. John the Baptist was to be a messenger to prepare the way of the Lord. But it was the Lord that was coming. It was the Messiah coming, Jesus Christ, the anointed one of God, the Lord Jesus Christ was coming. John was simply his announcer. John was simply his forerunner. John simply told the nation, the Messiah is right behind me. Here's what the Messiah is going to do, and you better be ready for him. Because he's going to burn this nation up with fire. And so John the Baptist's ministry, in verse 28, he reminds his disciples of these facts. Verse 29. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. This is a wonderful verse. The most important person at a wedding is the bridegroom. The bridegroom has the bride. There is a picture here of the Lord Jesus Christ and his church, a church being the bride and congregation of the Lord. So there was people coming to Christ. And the best man of this bridegroom was John the Baptist, the best man, the friend of the bridegroom, the one that announced, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. And so John the Baptist compares himself to the best man of the Lord Jesus Christ at a wedding where he's meeting his church and the church is flocking to him as the bride, but the bride belongs to the bridegroom, not to the best man. And so John is pointing out in, a, in metaphorical language why Jesus is far superior to him. He's just the best man at the wedding. These are wonderful words. And I wish and hope and pray and labor that these words might be true of us in an indirect, a very indirect way because we cannot apply them directly. We're part of the bride. But we also want to rejoice in Christ. And every joy that he has toward his church, we want it to fulfill our joy. What is your ambition to truly be happy? What would really make you happy? This is what should truly make you happy. To see Jesus Christ exalted as the head of his church, the church flocking to him, the church obeying him, and Jesus being exalted as head over all. It should be the fulfillment of our joy. You say, well, John was a special man. John was a sinner like you and I. You say, well, Paul was a, Paul was a sinner like you and I. He told Amen. us more plainly than John the Baptist did. Is your joy the Lord Jesus Christ always being exalted? Is your joy the joy of Christ? That to know that Jesus Christ finished his work and is enjoying pleasures forevermore at the right hand of God, does that bring you pleasure? It brought John the Baptist pleasure 
just to know that he was in Judea baptizing and there was a crowd gathering to him larger than his crowd. That made John the Baptist happy. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. Disciples, don't be envious for me. The church is flocking to the true bridegroom. I'm just the best man. They shouldn't be looking at me. They shouldn't be coming to me. I'm not marrying them. I'm not their head and their Lord. I'm just the one to announce and be a friend and, and be a companion of the bridegroom. He that hath a bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, the best man, which standeth and heareth him, that gets to be beside him, that gets to enjoy his joy, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. A bridegroom gets more and more excited the closer he gets to a marriage because he's about to get his bride. There's about to be the nuptial feast. There's about to be the consummation of the whole thing. And so the bridegroom gets more and more excited. And John is saying here under this metaphor, I get to stand there and see the growing excitement and pleasure and joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. This, my joy, therefore is fulfilled. But whose voice was getting better and louder? Who's, who's, who was rejoicing more and more but the Lord Jesus Christ? And John the Baptist said, seeing Jesus Christ exalted is my joy being fulfilled. I don't want to leave the verse. I just want to know who, who is like that in here. Who's, who's like this in this church? This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. What is our purpose as a church? What is your purpose as a person? It should be to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, to lift him up and to praise him, to show his works, to show his words, to show his doctrine, to defend him, to live for him, to help others live for him. And the more that others are doing that, fulfilling his role, fulfilling his purpose, fulfilling his praise, you get excited about it. That's what ought to happen. But we get too distracted. John the Baptist was a focused man. I have tried to teach you about his very limited ministry. John the Baptist had one little mission, and that was to preach that there's coming one after me who is greater than I. I am not worthy to loose the latchet of his shoes. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. All I'm doing is dipping you in some water and that dirty Jordan water. I am not like the Messiah. But that got a, John was thrilled with that, minute, with that ministry. The Apostle Paul was thrilled with his ministry. He didn't care. The more I love you, the less I be loved. 2 Corinthians 12. I will spend and be spent for you Corinthians, though the more I love you, the less you love me. What happened to these two men? They met the Lord Jesus Christ. They were prepared by the Spirit of God to love the Lord Jesus Christ and would that we would be the same way. It is a choice to humble ourselves right now before the written testimony. If I was to go off right now and spend 60 minutes telling you about some wig-wearing man called George Washington, I could get you jacked up about him. What about the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth? Right. This is the written record of him. 
The record we have of George Washington, there are so many contradictory things said about the man's character and religion, his faith, that we can't know for certain exactly where he stood on some important issues. But this we know. We have this written and we believe this book above all other books. And it tells us about the second in time of the founders of our religion. John the Baptist being the forerunner, and then he's quickly taken out of the way for the Lord Jesus Christ to be the preeminent one. And then his apostles to join him as the foundation stones for the building of the New Testament church. Rejoice with me when we look at those last words of verse 29. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. I find my greatest fulfillment in Jesus being exalted. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we always triumph when we preach Christ. There are men that hear me preach Christ and they believe. They repent and they change their lives and they show a they give off a savour of life unto life that goes up into the presence of God. Others hear me preach, they blaspheme, and they prove that they're not worthy of everlasting life, like we all are by nature, and they give off a savour of death unto death that goes up into the nostrils of God. In either case, we triumph when we right. preach Christ. Right. And so Paul didn't care what happened, he was just going to preach Christ. I want to lay out these verses to you and for you to love the last third of the third chapter of the Gospel of John for what John the Baptist says about his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and for you to embrace that as well for yourself. Why should I leave verse 29? Because you've got it down, Pat? Where? In your head? It should be in your heart. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He's the bridegroom. I'm just the best man. I'm just the announcer. To see these people flocking to him thrills me. Don't take away from that, disciples. You should be of the same order. You should be thinking the same thing. And there were some that did. Do you remember what Andrew did when he was standing as a disciple of John the Baptist in John chapter 1? Andrew is standing beside John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Andrew did what next? He saluted and said, Goodbye, sir. And he went and followed Jesus. And Jesus said, What do you want? Where dwellest thou, Master? Come and see. And and Andrew followed Jesus the rest of his life. But before he did that, he went and got Peter. This is because their joy was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, not in John the Baptist. We're Baptists, but let not our joy be fulfilled in the fact that we are Baptists. Let our joy be fulfilled in that we know Jesus Christ. And let's lift him up. He is the greatest Baptist. He was baptized by a Baptist preacher, and he was the greatest that that Baptist preacher ever baptized by far. We shouldn't even hardly make the comparison. Verse 29 is wonderful. I want that to be your joy and you to find that same fulfillment in Christ Jesus the Lord. You have a Savior. He came to this world and lived and died for you. 
He rose again from the dead, ascended up into heaven, sits at God's right hand, rules the nations with a rod of iron, is coming again to burn this place up and to create a new heaven and a new earth to deliver all the creation. All you have to do is walk outside. No, you don't. All you have to do is look at yourself, think about who I prayed for in the opening prayer this morning, and realize that we are all dying right now, but Jesus is coming back to take away all that death, all that sickness, all that disease, all unhappiness, all tears, all corruption, to make everything new. That's, that's, quite, that's quite a man. What did George ever do for us? Just using him as an example. One of the greatest figures in our nation's history. What did he ever do for you? Nothing. Nothing. We don't really want to talk about his religion and the aprons that he wore along with his wigs. We don't want to go there. We want to go right here. Right here. This man died for you. This man lives for you. This man is coming again for you. This man reigns for you. This man rules over all for you. This man has all authority for you. This man is the most gracious, glorious, loving, kind man ever, the Lord Jesus Christ. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Disciples, he must increase, but I must decrease. So we come to that 30th verse that we closed with last Sunday. John the Baptist was the great prophet of Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, and knew his job. He knew that his job was simply to announce the coming of Jesus Christ. Later, like Paul, the goal of every Christian in church should be to exalt Christ, like we read in Colossians chapter 1, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Paul intentionally dumbed his message down, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified in 1 Corinthians 2 and 2. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. There are certain people in contrast given to us in the Bible. Look at Luke chapter 10 for one of those contrasts that most of you are very familiar with, and yet I want to remind those who may not be and those that may be familiar with it, you have to answer the question, who are you most like? Martha or Mary? Just as I opened this morning from Philippians chapter 3, are you most like those in the parentheses, those who mind earthly things and are belly worshipers, or are you like those outside the parentheses in that you're like the Apostle Paul and your conversation is in heaven? This is why we are here today, is to let the Word of God remind us and the Spirit of God convict us that we would come outside the parentheses and be like the Apostle Paul. That we would leave the junk in the kitchen and become like Mary at the feet of Jesus. Luke 10, 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he, that little H-E in your King James Bible, do you appreciate it? It is the Lord Jesus Christ that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. The rest of John 3 is about the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, the message of his religion. Mary sat and listened to them. But Martha was cumbered about much serving. 
and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bitter therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part. Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Amen and amen. amen. What are you troubled about? What are you worried about? What are you caring about that distracts you from loving the Lord Jesus Christ as much as you should? We have some things that are necessary in life to do. But we all know that in 168 hours in a week, there are plenty left over if, we, if our affections and our priorities were of a higher sort for the Lord Jesus Christ, we would make more time for him. Now Martha, she knew about the feeding of multitudes by the Lord Jesus Christ, simply breaking bread and blessing it. What in the world is she worried about in the kitchen for? They both should have been at his feet, and he would have made lunch for them himself, and it wouldn't have taken very long. And there wouldn't have been any dishes to clean up afterwards. Just leftovers to put in the refrigerator for the next week. Wonderful passage right here. We come back to John chapter 3. He must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the greatest man ever born of a woman. Jesus said, and yet this, these are his words. He must increase. Disciples, no, you've got it all wrong. I was just a forerunner. I was just an announcer for him. He needs to increase to fulfill his position and role as the head of the church. I must decrease. I was just an announcer. I'm about to leave this place. He was thrown into prison shortly thereafter, his head cut off, and on to glory he went. Because his little ministry was fulfilled. I must decrease. The men in the Bible all knew that there was only one to be worshipped, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. I may have mentioned this last Lord's Day, but when Peter entered into Caesarea and came into the house of Cornelius, and Cornelius had his family and his servants and soldiers and whoever he felt would, would want to be there and hear the Lord Jesus Christ, he had a house full of Gentiles. And Peter comes in and Cornelius falls down before Peter. But Peter pulls him up and says, don't worship me, I'm just a man like you are. You know, no pope has ever said anything like that. Uh, and Peter was, is supposedly the first pope, but there's Peter putting all the emphasis on someone else. Look, no, I'm just a man like you are. You know, I had to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ just like you must be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Like Paul, the goal of every Christian in church should be honest self-denigration, self-demotion in order to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. On Wednesday evening, I shared with you Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8 where Paul said, I am, the, I am the less than the least of all saints. How low is that? I am less than the least of all saints, but God has called me to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. That is a huge gulf between Paul and Christ. They're unsearchable riches of Christ in the gospel. And I, when compared to all the saints and believers in Jesus Christ, when you find the least of them, I'm less than that one you found. That's Paul. We want to be that way. We are nothing. 
but for Christ saving us. But he is to get all the preeminence in our church. Lord, help us to that end. In 1 Corinthians 15, 29, the Apostle Paul, in describing the history of the church, said, I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. On other occasions, when the occasion called for it, could Paul magnify his office? Indeed. But when that wasn't called for, this is how Paul described himself. I am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And we should have the same spirit about ourselves relative to Jesus Christ. Verse 31. We understand that this is John the Baptist continuing his description of Jesus Christ's superiority. There's no reason to change and jump to the Apostle John. We just keep going with John the Baptist. Verse 31. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. This is a great verse. I want you to love this verse. John the Baptist speaking about Jesus Christ. Jesus came from above and is therefore above all. I am of the earth and I am earthly and speaketh of the earth. The most I can give you are relatively earthly things. He that cometh from heaven, this Jesus that you're worried about because he's got a growing ministry, he came from heaven and is above all. Now it opens and it closes with the same words. He that cometh from above is above all. He that cometh from heaven is above all. Therefore we know that cometh from above means coming from heaven. And John the Baptist is describing the Lord Jesus Christ. Grasp the value of these verses as historical details of our religion's founders. One was of the earth and the other is the Lord from heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ. Cometh from above is clearly defined by going to the end of the verse as coming from heaven. John, the Baptist, had a divine mission because John 1.6 tells us there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness. He was to bear witness of the light, meaning the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, on the other hand, was the Son of God by incarnation and was also God himself as well. How did Jesus come from heaven? For he was conceived and born on earth. Because Jesus was more than a man, just a man. He was also God the Word made flesh. This same question that you can and, and may have at various places in the Bible is answered in our context where Jesus explained it himself in verse 13. Let's get verse 12. John 3, 12 and 13. This is Jesus speaking, and it should be in the red writing in your red letter edition Bibles if you have such a thing. If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man. Jesus is identifying that he himself came down from heaven. I thought he was born on earth. Someone will ask. I thought he was born on earth. I thought he was born to Mary. I thought it was that holy thing which came out of Mary that was to be called the Son of God. 
Yes. Next. There was more than that to him. There was the Word of God that came down and joined himself to that holy thing so that there was a God-man on earth. Fully God, fully man. The Trinity not violated. The human nature of Jesus Christ not violated. Fully man, fully God, together in one person. And so Jesus could then go on and say this in John 3.13, and this is the answer to our question, and these words are not found in modern translations of the Bible, which is in heaven. When Jesus is sitting there at night talking to Nicodemus and tells him, the Son of Man is in heaven. Nicodemus reached out and pinched his knee. No, the Son of Man is here. He didn't really do that. It's what our minds want to do. No, the Son of Man is here. No, the Son of Man is in heaven. Can you grasp that, Nicodemus? Now I'm telling you some real heavy things. I told you some easy things earlier about being born again, and you didn't believe those. How are you going to handle these? Because John 3.13 is rather difficult if you haven't read the rest of the Bible about the Word becoming flesh. But where did we read about the Word becoming flesh? Right here in John chapter 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. No question about that. The Word was God. Verse 14, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God had never generated a man on earth without another man, like He did the Lord Jesus Christ, who took into union with Himself the Word of God, so that He was the God-man. I've been over all this before, but this helps us to answer John chapter 3 and verse 31, where it says, He that cometh from above is above all. How did He come from above? Because He had God the Word come down and join the human nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that things can be said of Him in His divine nature, things can be said of Him in His human nature, they're one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Some things of His human nature are not true of His divine nature. Some things of His divine nature are not true of His human nature, but because the two of them are united in one person, those things are true of that one person. God the Word created all things. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. John 1.3, talking about the Word. So the Bible can go on from this point forward. Paul can write, like Ephesians 3.9, all things were created by Jesus Christ. But he's using a name of a man. But that man was joined together in the tightest of relationships and connections as Jesus was with the Word of God. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. Jesus grew in wisdom. Jesus started out with zero wisdom. Can you handle that? Because when he was in his mother's wombs, he had zero wisdom. He had to grow in wisdom. Did he have to grow in wisdom in his divine nature? Not a chance. Did he have to grow in wisdom in his human nature? Yes. Is his human nature perfectly wise? No. Did Jesus Christ say, Of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels in heaven, neither the Son of Man? Mark chapter 13. 
Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Do you think the Word of God thought there might be a possibility that Jesus didn't have to go to the cross? No. Who was praying with strong crying and tears? But Jesus, the man Christ Jesus of Nazareth. You know, we've preached this many times before, and sometimes the best way to lay hold of this is to contrast certain statements about what is true of Jesus in his human nature versus what is true of Jesus in his divine nature and see some of those contrasts. Is God Jesus? Be very careful with your answers. Is God Jesus? No. Is God made flesh Jesus? Yes. Is Jesus God? Be very careful. Jesus is God made flesh. And without that flesh, there is no Jesus. And we could, and we could go on and on, but we've got to come back to John 3.31. He that cometh from above is above all. You say, how did he come from above when he was born on earth? John 3.13. If you write in your Bible, write 3.13 beside the first sentence, first clause of John 3.31. He's explaining his two natures in John 3.13. That is the answer to your question. That is the answer to your dilemma. He has two natures, and what is true of one is not true of the other in some cases. But they're combined in one person. I've given too many illustrations in the past. Let's just keep going or we'll not make the progress that I want to today. John 3.31, He that cometh from above is above all. Jesus Christ not only said that he had gone... He had come from heaven because no man had gone to heaven to come back from heaven with revelation for men except Jesus Christ. No man had ever done what Jesus did, John 3, 12, and 13. And so John the Baptist is teaching the same thing right here. He that cometh from above is above all because it was God that came down and joined himself to Jesus of Nazareth. And in the combined God-man, there was infinite wisdom and there was, an, there was a measure of the Holy Spirit without measure there was no measure of that Holy Spirit. And so Jesus of Nazareth could preach truth the likes of which no one had ever heard before by the blessing of having the divine nature attached to him and a measure of the Holy Spirit given to him above anyone else ever. And so he could speak things that no one had ever heard before. We're going to have that explanation given to us in verse 34 that what Jesus could speak, God gave him the words by the Holy Spirit. Jesus came down from heaven in his divine nature. Jesus is subject and subordinate to God in his human nature. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 27 and 28. Jesus could thirst on the cross in his human nature. Jesus could weep and cry over little events like the death of Lazarus in his human nature. Jesus could only be a mediator for us in his human nature. God can't be a mediator with God. That the thought is ridiculous, and Paul mocks it in Galatians chapter 3, that a mediator is not a mediator of one, but of two parties. And so we needed Jesus Christ between us, who was us, who was God. Perfect, beautiful. Amen. Galatians chapter 3. There is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Amen. 
He took not on him the nature of angels, first, I mean, Hebrews chapter 2, but he took on him the nature of the seed of Abraham to be like us, to suffer like us. And because he's made like us and suffered temptation like us, he is able to succor or help us because in that he himself hath suffered being tempted. What a Savior. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, where did he come from? Earth. How can we describe him? Earthy, earthly. How can we describe Jesus? Heavenly, godly, divine, glorious. There's no comparison. And that's what John's trying to teach us right here. John the Baptist uttered these words. And they're written down by the inspiring ministry of the Holy Spirit on the Apostle John. He that cometh from above is above all. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. The way in which Jesus came from heaven was the way in which he was still there. How was he still there? In his human nature in any degree? No. In his divine nature, according to that 13th verse. Jesus Christ is above all without compare by a divine nature and an exalted state. No other man ever came from heaven for us. This man came from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his divine nature. With God's presence for a role here. The primary intent of this verse is the superiority of Jesus to John the Baptist. No other man equaled John the Baptist, not even Paul, but he was less than Christ by a long way. No other man should be considered here. Not Moses, not David, not Solomon, not Elijah. And you consider each one of these men, not Moses, Jesus is not to be compared to Moses because Hebrews chapter 3 tells us that Jesus is far superior to Moses. Moses was faithful in all his house, but Jesus built the house. Jesus is not to be compared to Solomon because Jesus himself said, a greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is not to be compared to David because David said, the Lord said unto my Lord. Oh yes, this is the founder of our religion. This is the king of kings and the blessed and only potentate. This is our brother. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. This is our Lord and Savior. He had to have that human nature to die on the cross. He had been in fellowship with God, the likes of which no man had ever had before. When God forsook him on the cross and he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was an incredible breach of fellowship. When our fellowship with God is breached, it is so minor in comparison to that. What a Savior we have. Jesus is the Son of God, which makes Him superior to the angels, if you read Hebrews chapter 1 with understanding. The book of Hebrews shows Jesus is superior to every Old Testament person or institution or ordinance. Hebrews is a glorious epistle. Yes, it's my favorite. It's my favorite for one very simple reason. It has one theme. Overall, Jesus is superior to every religious person and act ever given by the God of heaven under the Old Testament. Look at 1 Timothy 6. He that cometh from above is above all. Especially above John the Baptist is what the Baptist is trying to teach to his disciples. 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is an event that I'm looking forward to, and I hope that you are. 1 Timothy 6, verse 13. Paul to Timothy, 
1 Timothy 6.13, I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Amen. Jesus Christ is going to show himself in his times of who he actually is. He hasn't done it yet. Wait till you see this fulfilled. They want to make fun of our Lord and Savior now? Let them. Wait till they meet him. They should be kissing the sun, lest he be angry, and they perish from the way when his anger is kindled but a little. As Psalm 2 describes, I love this passage of Scripture because it tells us that he hasn't revealed himself this way yet, but he shall do it. And I'm looking forward to that day. He is the Lord of hosts. All those hundreds of references in the Old Testament about God being called the Lord of hosts. Jesus is now the Lord of hosts because God has put the Lord Jesus Christ over all the angelic armies of heaven. He rules the nations with a rod of iron from the throne of God right now, according to Revelation 2, 25 through 27. All will give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ because all judgment has been put into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. We shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ because all judgment's been given to him. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul charged Timothy, I charge thee to preach the word by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ who is ready to judge the quick and the dead. This is our Lord. He that cometh from above is above all. You have never been in the presence of anyone even close, nor have you ever imagined anyone like the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no reason to worry about the political games that we have to hear and read about these days. Do not worry about them. The Lord Jesus Christ reigns at the right hand of God. He cometh from above. He is above all. As we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 8, we should not marvel at the perverting of justice or judgment in a province. Those political things should not bother us because there is one higher than they. And who is the one higher than they? He that came down from heaven is above all. And the, the, real, the real intent of the verse, and I always want to give you the real intent of the verse, is John the Baptist telling his disciples, I am nothing in comparison to Jesus Christ. He came down from above. He's above all. I'm of this earth. I'm earthly. I had a mommy and a daddy. He only had a mommy. God was his dad. God was his father. I had the spirit given to me for a very limited ministry. Jesus had the spirit given to him without measure. Don't compare us. The real intent of the verses. But when we read the verse, we understand there's nothing that should frighten us. Because he is above all. Right. Do you know the two people that are running for office of the highest office of our land? Are they of the earth? Are they earthy? 
Are they earthly? But Jesus Christ is the Lord from heaven. And what a difference. John had quite a ministry. John had a miraculous birth. But John gave us John 3.31. He that is from above is above all. That's Jesus. He that is of the earth is earthly. That's me. And speaketh of the earth. What have I told you folks to do? Repent and get baptized. What have I told you soldiers to do? Do violence to no man. Be content with your wages. Things of the earth. But there's one has come down from heaven that is telling us heavenly things. And the message that he has given, no man receives it, but you better receive it. Because if you don't receive it, you have made God a liar. And the wrath of God is upon anyone that makes him a liar and does not believe the message of his son. That is John 3, and we'll take up the rest of it after our break. May the Lord bless you by his spirit and by his words to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and to give him all homage and all the honor and glory that is due him, to humble yourself before him, to undo yourself from whatever is distracting you so that you will not be like Martha, but you will be like Mary, that you will be like John the Baptist, that you will decrease while he increases. And may that be true of our whole church. Amen. Amen. Amen.